The Old Testament reading is from Psalm 119, verses 65 through 72. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents to the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday is from the gospel of St. Matthew, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 9. If you saw uh, the... Devotion this morning uh, between me and Gizmo, you'll know that Gizmo was pretending to be sick because he remembers Jesus' words here where we're going to hear Jesus say, I've not come for those who think that they're well, but for those who know they're sick. And so Gizmo thought that he needed to be sick. So he's feigning a cough and fever and so on. And I had to remind him that, no, no, we don't have to pretend to be sick. We are sick with sin. We are sick with sin. And that's the Savior that we have. Our Savior, Jesus, has come to bring forgiveness and healing to those of us who are sick with sin. And that's what we're reminded of here in this gospel reading. 
As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I was saying at the beginning of the worship service, starting today and going through about mid-September, our epistle lessons are going to be focusing on Paul's letter to the Romans. And so during the summer months, I'm going to spend a bit of time taking us through those texts. And we begin today by looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, the text that was read to you moments ago by Margie. But I want to highlight these words from that, beginning at verse 23, where we read, The words that was credited to him, that is to Abraham, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. This is our text. You know, there was a study done that involved rats. Some rats were placed in a a jar with water. And this jar was... completely encased in darkness. And you know, those rats drowned within three minutes of being put into the water. Now, a separate group of rats were placed in another jar, but this jar was lit with light. And these rats, they swam for 36 hours. The difference between these two groups of rats While the rats living in darkness had no hope, and the rats living in the light had hope that gave them reason to persevere and to live. Hope. We all need hope, don't we? Without hope, we would be like those rats that drowned, who would rather sink to death than waste away in darkness. But if we have hope, hope that the Lord provides, then we will make it through any desperate predicament. Like the psalmist, we will say, Lord, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is a source of hope. Now, one can scarcely think of a more impossible, hopeless situation than that of a 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife conceiving a child. If we were a betting person, we know where we would put our money. And yet, yes, years earlier, Abraham had been visited by God. Abraham and Sarah were in the prime of their life at that time. And God had promised them that they would have a son. 
the Lord swore, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was quite the promise. And yet, despite their valiant and persistent efforts, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, Sarah's pregnancy test came back negative. No promised child. And eventually, Sarah found herself experiencing hot flashes, cramping, weight gain, mood swings, her periods were coming less frequently. Her biological clock was ticking and the window to having a child was closing and her hope was drying up. Against all hope, St. Paul writes, Abraham and hope believed. St. Paul continues, without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Although not wavering in their faith that God would keep his promise to them, there were occasions when Abraham and Sarah decided that maybe they should take matters into their own hands, that maybe God needed a little bit of help in fulfilling His promise. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 16, we read how Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain a child by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And he went to Hagar. He went into her. And she conceived. If you know that story, you know that Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. But that is not how God planned to fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah. No, when, it, when Sarah's womb was as good as dead... God, who gives life to the dead, caused that aged couple to conceive a son. And shortly after God had promised them once again that she would give birth to a son, Sarah began to experience morning sickness. Then she began to feel or see the belly bump. And then she felt that first kick of the child within her womb. And then she saw the first rollover that Isaac made within her. And then there was the water breaking. And then there was the intense labor. And then there was someone yelling, push. And then there was someone said, it's a boy. And then there was this little baby boy resting on her breast, suckling at her breasts. And she was exhausted. And Abraham thinks that he heard her say under her breath, I'm getting too old for this. Can you imagine a 90-year-old woman giving birth to a baby boy? It's no wonder they named him Isaac, which means laughter. 
In fact, in Genesis 21, we're told that Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I've borne him a son in his old age. Indeed, God had made it possible for her to give birth to a son. And oh, their nights were disturbed with the wail of a newborn child. And oh, there were those midnight or middle-of-the-night feedings. And then there were dirty diapers that needed to be rinsed and washed. But there was also the laughter of that child in their home that was like a bright ray of sunshine. And their chest swelled with pride as they watched Isaac take his first step and mature into being a young man. But most importantly, Isaac was that promised child through whom God would continue to fulfill his promises. You know, what I find quite remarkable about this story is that Abraham and Sarah continued to swim, so to speak, even though for many decades they seemed to be living in darkness. It was as though God had turned off the lights on his promise to them. I mean, how did they persevere when month after month the pregnancy test came back negative? How did they persevere when they were well beyond the age of childbearing? Well, they knew the character of God. They knew of his trustworthiness. They knew of his fidelity to his promises. They knew of his ability to do the things that seemed impossible. I can imagine the countless discussions that they had when frustrated Abraham and broken-hearted Sarah would talk with one another about where is this promised child. I can just hear them say, but the Lord has promised. We must trust his word. I can hear them saying the words of the psalmist from Psalm 119, the Lord is our refuge and our shield. His word is a source of hope. And eventually, yes, they held that fulfillment of God's promise in their arms as they gazed into the face of Isaac and they laughed. They laughed at how God fulfilled his promise to them. You know, I said I can scarcely think of a more hopeless situation than that of a 100-year-old man and his 90-year-old wife conceiving and giving birth to a child, and yet... There is an even more hopeless situation than that. And that's sinners becoming saints. In the previous chapter of Romans, in chapter 3, St. Paul has established that none is righteous, no, not one. Paul writes, for there is no distinction between Jew or Gentile, between male or female. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, spiritually, we are by nature as dead and as lifeless and as barren as was Sarah's 90-year-old womb. And just as God gave life to Sarah's infertile womb, so the Lord must conceive spiritual life in our barren heart. The Spirit of the Lord must create and sustain the faith in us that holds us 
that holds fast to the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises in another miracle child who we know as Jesus Christ. Isaac was the gift of a miraculous act of the Lord. And through Isaac, the Lord kept his promise to Abraham. And Abraham's family would become a great nation. His descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And through his, his descendants, one of his descendants would be the savior of the nations. Now, if you know the story of Abraham and Isaac, you'll recall that later in his life, when this miracle child Isaac was a young man, the Lord commanded Abraham to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son there. It was a test of Abraham's faith. After waiting for so many years for a son, how could God make such an unreasonable demand of him? And not only would his beloved son die, at his own hands. But so too would all the promises that God had made to Abraham so many years earlier. But as Abraham was about to slay his son Isaac, the Lord intervened. And he stopped it. And God provided a substitute ram in the place of Isaac. Well, many centuries later, Another miracle child was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin named Mary. And he was born into this world. The conception and birth of Jesus was the gift of a miraculous act of God. God's beloved eternal son was born into this world so that he might be delivered over to death once for all for our sins. But then he was raised to life, resulting in our justification. Yes, through this descendant, Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of Isaac, all the peoples of the earth are blessed. Miracle of miracles. It's through Jesus Christ, God's Son, that he makes sinners into saints. It is true, we know it to be true, that we're sinners through and through. No one is good, no, not one. And because of our sin, we deserve God's conviction for our sin. We deserve judgment. We deserve God's eternal condemnation. But, but, God loves the world. God loves sinners. And as a result, we are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Yes, God sent a miracle child, his son, into this world to suffer on the cross for our sins, to shed his blood for you and me to be that substitute ram, so to speak, so that we would not have to endure and experience the wrath of God. Jesus experienced that wrath for us. And as a result, God declares you and me 
forgiven of all, all of our sin. God declares that in His sight we are holy without sin. We are acquitted of all the charges against us. Another analogy St. Paul uses to help us understand God's forgiveness is that of, of a debt paid in full. Referring to Abraham, St. Paul states, the words it is, was credited to him were not only for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. If you can visualize this, our salvation account, we can call it that, our salvation account with God is completely empty. We are spiritually and morally, well, we're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing at all to contribute to our salvation, to that bank account of salvation. But you see, we don't have to contribute anything to that bank of salvation because God's Son has filled our account to overflowing. And we can never outdraw God's account of grace because Christ's righteousness, His holiness, is credited to us as our righteousness. And that's why St. Paul writes in the first verse of chapter 5 of Romans, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God to our Lord Jesus Christ. We can trust God's word to be true. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Oh, there are times where we doubt God's promises, aren't there? Like Abraham and Sarah, we might even think that we need to help God along the way, so to speak, to fulfill his promises to us. Like, like this one, for instance, Lord, I don't doubt that you'll answer my prayer, but let me help you along. Or, Lord, I don't doubt that you'll get revenge on my enemies, but let me help you. Lord, I don't doubt that you'll provide me with my daily bread, but let me help you by working long, hard hours at the neglect of my family and faith. Lord, I don't doubt that you will save me, but let me help you. I'll hold before you my, my good works. I'll try to put those into the bank of salvation. And at such times, God says to us, I don't need your help. I've got this. I'll make it happen. Wait on me. Be still. And know that I'm God. Trust the promises I've made to you in my word. You see, one additional implication of God's faithfulness to us when we face other hopeless, impossible situations in our life, especially when we experience times of suffering, is that we need not despair. We need not despair. St. Paul writes, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. <laughs> really? Yes, St. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, 
because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not put us to shame because our hope is in God. In the God who created us. In the God who loved us so much he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. The God who loves us so much that he came to us in the waters of holy baptism and made us his own. That's the God in whom we place our hope. That's the God whose word we can literally take to the bank. A while ago, a meme popped up in my Facebook feed that said, faith is trusting God when you don't understand his plan. Faith is trusting God when you don't understand his plan. We don't need to understand God's plan any more than Abraham and Sarah needed to understand his plan for them. We're simply called to trust him. And we take God at his word. And we know that he is faithful to his promises for just as certain as God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah, and just as certain as God turned you and me from sinners into saints through the blood of Christ, so he will keep all of his promises, all of his promises to you and me. In Christ, in our relationship with him, the light is always on. Even when we seem to be enveloped in darkness. No, the light is always on. And that is why we can say, Lord, you are my refuge. You are my shield. Your word is a source of my hope. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.